Spoiler. Um, let's go back one side. Okay, so before I get started, I've been told that Reagan Blue turns 21 this week. Is that correct? So happy birthday, Reagan. We try not to miss any of those big birthdays. Uh, but good morning and welcome to Chanel. We are so happy that you're here with us on New Year's Eve. We hope that you have a great New Year's, regardless if you're in bed at 8 p.m., which I plan to be, or if you plan on staying up until midnight. We just hope that you have a great evening tonight. Now, this morning we'll be in Ephesians chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn there, that's what we'll be in just a little bit. Now, I want to start by uh, stating that I wrote this sermon months ago. Uh, I had a a particularly slow week, and I started writing uh, this sermon because I was like, well, I know what the end of the year is going to look like. I know kind of what this sermon, the vibe is. Uh, As a, uh, still kind of working in all types of ministry, but as primarily a former youth minister, uh, this was always a fun Sunday that I got to preach. Um, Even at my old church, I remember those conversations of, hey, Christmas was great. I think the sermon that you need to preach, New Year's Eve. I'm like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, you know, the the excitement of Christmas is over. You can finish out the year. I thought, man, sold. Um, So I've been doing these Christmas Eve sermons for a while now. Uh, and and I, I, so I kind of knew what I wanted to say. And, and I want to return to a, a book that I've mentioned a few times throughout the year, uh, Unreasonable Hospitality. Now, if you're tired of hearing me talk about it, I promise you this is the last time this year that I'm going to reference this book. But at the beginning of the book, uh, the author mentions a conversation that he has with his father, uh, where his dad is asking him his, his dreams and his goals. And his dad asks this particular question. What would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? Uh, What I do when I read books is I I take notes. I use little index cards. And this is like on like page five. And I stopped and I wrote this down. I've kept that index card with me all year because that question could be applied to anything. Not just what it looks like to run a restaurant, but what it looks like to live our lives today. What would you attempt to do if you could not fail? Failure is a a driving force in a lot of our lives. It's a a concept that haunts us, that slows us down, that hinders our relationships, our careers. And when we allow this, this feeling of potential failure to set in, we often stop before we even start something. Now, some of you may know the hiring process here at Chanel of how I got into this particular role. But if you don't, I want to share that story with you. Because I don't want you to think that it was just like, all right, there's a warm body, uh, you get to do it. It wasn't that. Um, There there was a a lengthy, thank you for laughing, Jay. Um, It was a, a lengthy process where there was a lot of dialogue and conversation uh, there was a, a lot of requests for, them, for, for me to share my ideas and my vision and my um, statements of ministry, things like that. Uh, I think Jay wanted to know, if you were to plan out six months of a sermon series, what would that look like? I mean, they asked for a lot of different things. We had a lot of different meetings, a lot of different clarifications, a lot of one-on-one conversations with Eddie about grace. I mean, these were, some of you know Eddie, that's one of Eddie's favorite things to talk about. But my point is that there were these lengthy conversations that went into this process. And at the end of it, Bruce Binkley calls me and he says, Hey, can you meet with me and JJ tomorrow morning? 
Uh, and, and we met, we went upstairs here in this building in the uh, ladies' classroom, which is the library. And I sat by the window, which is, uh, I wanted to be able to have an exit if I needed it at the point. I didn't know. you got to know. you got to figure out your exit before the conversation starts. We sit down, and, and Bruce kind of does this, this opening monologue about the process and um, how they appreciated everything that, that I'd given them, and they respected me, all this stuff, like a lot of compliments, which, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, no, it's too many compliments. And, and so we're having this conversation. JJ's not saying anything. That's concerning me. And, and, and so Bruce eventually says, so because of all of this, we're excited to offer you this job. And he hands me a piece of paper, and it, it's, a, it's a contract offer. And I need you to know, like, that is what I had been working for. That's what I'd gone to seminary for. That's why I took all those classes on tables and chairs, how to set up a room perfectly, um, learning how to order food for just the right amount of people. I'd gone to school for this. I'd trained for this. I I love this work. I've gone to church my whole life. It is something that I, I adamantly love and care about. And so I'm holding this paper that's just saying, hey, you get to continue doing this on a larger scale. And I can remember holding this paper and thinking, like, this is awesome. This is so, like, this is what I want to do. And I'm sitting with these two men that I respect. J.J., a skilled attorney, I think. We don't really know what he does. <laughs> and also with, with Bruce, a, a talented businessman. Who, who has a, a, a success rate that is crazy in closing deals. And I look up and I can see Bruce's face, and Bruce is like, I've just closed another deal, a check. And I'm sitting there, and I'm holding this letter, and I just said, I need time to think. Yeah, the, the, thank you for the laugh, because no one laughed in that meeting. Um, I remember Bruce's face immediately turning to, that's not what you're supposed to say, uh, when I hand you this paper, and, and I, I'm like, I, he was like, and I, I'll never forget, he said, don't you want this job? I said, I absolutely want this job, but I've got to think about it. Now, full disclosure, I had another job offer at the time, but I was not going to take that job because I was not a good fit for that job. And what concerned me even more was that they didn't know that I wasn't a good fit, but they still were offering me a job. I was like, come on. Um, I was like, you don't like sarcasm. I know that. You're, this is what you're going to get, a lot of it. But it feels good to be pursued. So I had another job offer that, that I knew I wasn't a good fit for. And I'm holding this paper, and I tell Bruce, I was like, I need, I need time to think. And I legitimately think it, it startled him or confused him a little bit because he was like, no, like, you've just said that you want this job. Now, I'm here today to tell you, because you know how it ended, I I clearly accepted the job. I think I took about 48 hours, and then I called Bruce, and I said, okay, I I accept it. I want to do this. I'd love to move forward with it and continue working here at Chanel. But if he was here today, I would tell him to his face, the reason why I said I need more time is because I was afraid. I was afraid that I, I couldn't cut it. I was afraid that it would be too much to follow two men that I respected so much. Bert wasn't just like a friend to me, but he was a mentor. Somebody that I looked up to and I looked at the way he, he ministered, the way that he studied the word, the way that he cared about people. 
Like that was the bar. Now, I wasn't around Danny as much as a lot of you all were, but man, Danny hung the moon for a lot of you people. He paved the way for this church to be a church that cares about everybody in this community, regardless of who you are or where you're from. And I'm sitting there holding this paper thinking, okay, if I'm the next person, these are the shoes that I have to step into. And I remember just thinking, I know what this church needs right now. This church is is dealing with hurt, with loss, and I love this place so much. When I talk about you all, I can't talk about you like this in front of you. It's like kids, you can't compliment them too much. But I always tell people how much fun it is to work with the best people in Arkansas. I believe that with all my heart. And all I wanted was for you guys to have the best. But how many times throughout our lives have we given up on something because we've convinced ourselves that we can't do it? We've quit before we've even started. So often, failure dominates our mindset and and dismisses opportunities that are right in front of us, that God has placed in front of us for us to do good and beautiful things. But we are too afraid that we're going to fail. I want to transition just a little bit to talk about Artemis. Smooth transition. I'm working on my transitions. That's my New Year's resolution. Personal story, kind of emotional Greek goddess Artemis. In Greece, they, they love their gods. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Jay and I, we're right here together today. Thank you. Uh, in, in Greece, they love their gods. Uh, they had gods for everything that you could have imagined, but there's one particular god, again, that I want to focus on this morning, and it's Artemis. Artemis was the goddess of a few things. She was the goddess of chastity, of hunting, and the moon. Weird trifecta, and it's right. We, you know, good for her. But she was very popular in one particular city, and that was Ephesus. In Ephesus, they had the temple of Artemis here. Now, this is where the the Christian story and the Greek mythology kind of combine here. Because in Acts chapters 18 and 19, Paul, on his missionary journey, is going to go to the city of Ephesus. And it's here that Paul has success, as Paul does. People like his message, and they start to convert to Christianity and disconnect from worshiping at the temple of Artemis. Which is also where Paul makes a bunch of people mad. Particularly individuals like Demetrius, who made money building shrines to Artemis. And since more people were converting to Christianity, they had no reason to buy Demetrius' stuff, which is a major problem. So what does Demetrius do? For those of you that study, you know that they sit down, they have coffee, and they talk about it. They don't. Uh, Demetrius, seeing who's with me, Demetrius causes a riot. Um, he gets a bunch of people riled up and is like, you know what we've got to do is we've got to kill this guy, which is intense if that's your first kind of mode of like that's where we're going to go with this. But Demetrius causes a riot, which, which unsettles a lot of people, but it's also the foundation for Paul's relationship with the church of Ephesus, a group of believers who needed confidence to believe in what they were taught in the face of the opposing religious leaders in their community. So when Paul writes Ephesians, there's so much writing on the reasons why they believe and what that means for their lives, which is where Ephesians 3 comes in. 
Paul starts talking in verse 12 about the mystery of God. Verse 4, excuse me. He says, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul is reminding them that they too are invited into this. For a long time, they thought they were excluded from these beautiful promises of God. Paul saying, no, the gospel now has been brought to you as well. You are no longer excluded from the table. Now you too have access to this gospel, this good news that you've heard about. Members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Not only are you invited, but you are equal. It's a powerful mystery. It's a powerful message that Paul is giving to these people who thought they were on the outside. And Paul continues in verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people. This is something that Paul does over and over and over again in all of his epistles. He's saying that if God can welcome me, if God can forgive me for the things that I have done, think of what God can do for you. See, I'm the lowest. I'm the worst sinner. If God can forgive me, he will forgive you as well. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. And he continues, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This language here that Paul is using here in verse 12, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I love this. If you can start to grasp just a little bit of what Paul is giving us here, if you can understand just a little bit about the mystery of God, that's what Paul is saying to the church of Ephesus. If you can start to see just a little bit of what God is doing in your life and what he's done in you, you aren't going to be scared. And you cannot contain the joy that is within you. Look at how Eugene Peterson translates the same passage. He says, When we trust in Him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. Paul drives home this beautiful point about confidence because they needed to hear it. They were a group of people who needed to know that God was there and that God had prepared them Thus, they should be confident. But guess who else needs to hear this type of message from time to time? We do. Not just the Ephesians. This word confidence is one that you're going to hear me use a lot over the next few weeks. See, it's not just individuals that, that often lack confidence. It's also the church. Churches make excuses in the same way that individuals do. We can't do this thing because we're not big enough. We can't do this thing because the person that drove that ministry doesn't go here anymore. 
You get where I'm going with this. Instead of worrying about what we can't do, we should focus our attention on who we are and what we can do. We are a community of believers that trusts in the Word of God and believes that God is still working in this world. We are a community that honors not just the voices of men, but of women. Very few congregations in our fellowship can state that. And as a father of a, a daughter, I am proud that my daughter, on a weekly basis, witnesses women sharing from this stage what God has done in their lives. And we are a church that laughs together and cries together. These last six months have been hard for this church. We have lost people that we have loved, and in each instance, this church has showed up for those families. One of the most common questions that I get on a regular basis when someone hears of another in trouble or in pain or of loss is, what can I do? Do you know how powerful that is to a family who's just lost someone that they care about? That there's a group of people ready in an instant to rally around them, to feed them, to care for them, to show up and to do whatever needs to be done. Our instinct isn't just to sit on the sidelines, but to get to work and help someone. It's who we've always been and who we will continue to be. So since we know who we are, what can we do? We will continue to maintain the ministries that we are serving. We will not waver on our commitments or friendships with those ministries both inside and outside of Chanel. We will continue to look for new ways to bring more, member, more neighbors and the larger Little Rock community to our campus. But I need you to hear me state a difference in our approach in the coming year. Yes, we will continue to invite people here, but it's also time for us to go to them. The days of church growth where people come to church because the doors are open and the lights are on are over. That means if we want to be a church that looks like Little Rock, we need to go and be present in Little Rock. We will never change the gospel, but we will always look for new ways to engage and connect with our neighbors. When there are community events and activities in the coming year, let's show up. When the Little Rock Trojans need a cheering section on a random weeknight game, Let's show up. When one of our students at Chanel have a game, let's go on and share them. Who knows, maybe we've got enough men brave enough to paint their chest with Rylan Henry's name and show up to one of his baseball games. I'm sure Rylan would love that. Um, next October, during chilly fights in the Heights, let's compete. The best way to show our neighbors who we are is to go and be with our neighbors. A church that just simply opens its doors will not grow. But a church that is willing to go and do will. In the interview process, the elders asked to out, for me to outline a plan of action if I were selected to be a minister here. And Jay is going to recite what I said. Do you remember that, Jay? You do? And I wrote, if I remember correctly, I shared with them how much I cared about this community and this church. And I gave them a three-step process. The first was to stabilize. I knew this church was coming out of a time of pain, of loss. I know it's not exciting. It's not something that you want to promote on your Facebook. Of, We're in a season of stabilization. But it was something that I knew that we needed. For a period of time, I wanted church to just feel safe and normal. Like no one needed to feel like another rug was going to be pulled out from under them. 
And the second phase was to excite. I wanted to start inserting content that was unique and maybe a little bit different. One example of this was those of you who joined me on our Wednesday night experiment called The Gospel According to Music, where I attempted to make gospel connections from Weird Al to Dolly Parton. And boy, did y'all show up for Dolly Parton. And, and some of you for Weird Al as well. But we also tried a new approach to Fall Fest. We believe this last year that we saw the largest total number of individuals show up that we have in years. But the third one, which I believe is the most important, was to share. I believe that if we stabilize this and then we excited our people that it would be natural to share what we are doing and who we are. And friends, I believe it's time. If we want this church to grow, we have to go and share with our friends and neighbors who we are and what we believe. Because the kingdom of God is not just for us, it's for all. And it is our responsibility to be confident enough to share it with others. Let's stand and sing together.